we're going to start a topic that, that, you know, over the years has been a little controversial. First time I preached a sermon on this topic, we had some people leave the church. And uh, they haven't been back since. And we're doing it again. Why? Because it's my commitment to God first, then to the church, that we're going to preach on all the things the Bible talks about and all the things we need to talk about. January is Sanctity of Life Month, and that includes the elderly, the disabled, includes a lot of categories of folks that are treated incorrectly by others who don't value life in and of itself. But usually the focus is on the issue of abortion and the unborn. And we're going to spend a week or two talking about the unborn and the issue of abortion. And we're going to talk about it because it matters to God. There's other things that are illegal or are not illegal that people do that don't merit a sermon. We don't have sermons about driving the speed limit. We don't have sermons about lying all that often. It's usually just a mention here or there. And you can think of other things that God has obviously said are wrong that don't merit a single sermon devoted to the topic. So simply by the fact that we're talking about this means that I think it's very important in God's eyes and needs to be talked about. And so we're going to do that. So in your notes, we're just going to really run through the notes. I have more notes than you do, so if there's a, a bit of a gap between when you fill in a blank and then you fill in another blank, that's okay. I just couldn't fit it all in there. So I, I took out some reference material that I will share with you. And if you want to see the reference material, the notes I post online this week will be the full notes. So you can go to the website, go to the podcast location, you can get those notes if you want there's also an extra handout in your bulletin that has a lot of notes that will not be included in today's sermon. So what is an abortion? An abortion is the intentional taking of a human life within the womb. I tried to make it as simple as I could, and, and right then and there, if I said that in the right setting, people would take issue with my definition. They would want to argue about that definition. No, it, it's not a human life. Um, no, it's all kinds of things that are wrong. And then others would say, no, you haven't gone far enough. That, that's not far enough. You have to be stronger in your definition. You need to use words that, that mean more. We might say it's the unnecessary taking of a human life. It's the killing of a human life. It's the unnecessary avoidable taking of a human life. There's all kinds of things we could do, but for now, let's just say it's, it's the intentional taking of a human life. A choice is made to take a life in the womb. That's abortion. That's all the defining we're going to do as far as that goes. I do want to say what abortion is not, because all of a sudden, that is a public debate. It's very odd that it's a public debate. It's actually very much political. It's a debate created to cast shade on the truth so that you're thinking about something other than the truth. But it's out there, it's being talked about, so we'll mention it. And you notice it says, what about miscarriage, ectopic pregnancies, and death due to failed medical treatment? Well, just the word miscarriage brings up emotion. If, if a, a mother has ever had a miscarriage, and sometimes even the father 
and, and, and it's been recent or sometimes even far in the past, if you've had a miscarriage, even that very word stirs up emotion. It stirs up emotion because you realize and cannot forget that there was a life inside of you that died, and, and, and you missed out on something. You missed out on the joy that life would bring, the experience of, of that child. And, and I even find myself getting a bit emotional talking about it, because we had a miscarriage of sorts. It was an eptopic pregnancy. And, and so there's that missing piece. And just the fact that it brings up the emotion so much later in life is evidence that we already know it's a human being. We already know it's a life because we are mourning the loss of that life. So miscarriage is not an abortion. It is not intentional. It's not done by choice. It's something that happens because something went wrong inside the mother's body. Now, an ectopic pregnancy results in a miscarriage. It's a special category because it has a, a, we know what happens. The baby attaches in the wrong place. And, and attaching in the wrong place, it cannot survive and it will miscarry. It may also cause damage to the mother and in some cases can bring death to the mother. So an ectopic pregnancy is one of the things that's been brought up. It's a, it's a medical term, and it requires medical treatment. And then sometimes, babies inside the womb die, and we don't know why, even though we tried to save them. Uh, a mother might be put on bed rest. Uh, they might monitor a baby's heartbeat because it didn't sound right. They may provide medicines or therapies. Doctors may do things to try to ensure that a baby lives, and it still might die. Again, a form of miscarriage. But none of these are abortion. None of them are intentional. None of them are avoidable. None of them are by choice. Yet politically, they're being thrown out there as abortion because they want to say that if you restrict abortion, you're going to cause doctors not to treat the miscarriage not to treat the ectopic pregnancy, not to try and treat the babies that are inside the womb that need some extra help. Well, I'm just going to say that that's not the case. It is a smokescreen. It is a distraction and a deflection. There's not a hospital or a clinic in the United States, I would, I would bet that's true, that will not treat you if you show up with one of these conditions. So abortion is the intentional taking of a human life within the womb. It is not these other things. Number two, more relevant to our discussion, so it's going to get a lot of our time. Does abortion violate God's moral and biblical law? Now this is where we're going to leave your notes for a minute, so just give me your attention. I, I toyed with the idea of not telling you what I'm going to do so that you would experience the shock of what I'm going to say, but I thought maybe that's not a good idea. I'm going to tell you three make-believe stories. These did not happen, but they, they prove a point. So don't think these happen, but do think that maybe they're possible, okay? At least physically possible. So I tried to write them as if I was reading something for the newspaper or a headline. So here's, here's the first one. On December 6, 2022, in Virginia... 
A woman married for 18 years recently discovered through DNA matching that her 12-year-old son was indeed the product of a rape and was not her husband's child. Because of this discovery, she legally took his life to try and block those horrible memories brought up by the discovery. Legally took his life. Just remember that. Second story. Earlier that same year on a skydiving excursion in the European Alps, it was discovered that there was not enough parachutes for the entire group of tourists present. To solve the problem, one instructor tethered his harness to a woman and her child at the same time. During their descent, the instructor told the woman that there was too much weight, and because of his miscalculation, they were all going to die, all three of them, due to equipment failure when the chute doesn't open. Thinking quickly, the mother, realizing that her life was in danger, released the child who fell to his death, but saved her life and that of the instructor. Story number three. Due to overcrowding in the schools and in the local parks of New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles, the U.S. Department of Population Control has proposed... And the president has issued an executive order requiring that all three- and seven-year-old children living within the city limits of any city with a population of 100,000 or more to be taken and killed humanely by medical professionals at government-run clinics. The White House press secretary has said that this action will make the lives of all the other children and their parents easier and more satisfying. Now, I don't know what you felt when you heard me say those words. Maybe anger. Maybe disgust. Maybe your heart sank. Maybe it's a little too close to a possible future reality. But what I want you to realize is that these three stories mirror the reasons given for abortion. Back to your notes. The three most popular and widely spoken reasons given in support of abortion are rape and incest, one category, the life of the mother in danger, second category, and a mother's right to the pursuit of happiness. The only difference between those three stories that I just told and these arguments are age and location. Age and location. If we change the details of the story to be inside the womb before they were born, then the life of the mother, the, the, the pursuit of happiness, and the rape would be legitimate reasons to take the life of that child. The location changed and the age changed. I chose older children to make the point that that doesn't matter. We could be talking about uh, another topic. We could have talked about our, our grandparents, our aged adults, and created similar scenarios where the only different factor would be their age and their location. Are they, are they in a nursing home? Are they in my home now? Are, are, they, are they so old they're not productive? Things like that, things people might say. Let's talk about these three things, rape, Mother's life in danger and pursuit of happiness. So, back to things in my notes. I, I referenced these in yours, but 
I'm going to read them to you. When it comes to rape and incest, I think this part is in your notes, the violator should be punished to the full extent of the law. The, the guilty party should be punished to the full extent of the law. But the woman who was raped and the child that was produced are both innocent victims. We would never say that a woman who was raped should go to jail or should be put to death. Only the man. Whatever the penalty uh, that the, the, the uh, law has assigned. We, just, we wouldn't say that the woman needs to serve hard labor and, 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 and be restricted from future movements and, and be on parole. Only the, the victim, or the, the perpetrator, the violator. Yet we do assign punishment, if you will, or an, a negative consequence to the baby. So we continue on, yet an abortion will add to the trauma of the mother and not reduce it. We've been talking about this long enough that people have done studies to see what happens to women who keep the babies that have been produced by rape and incest and women who don't keep the babies. They've been arguing about this so long, this long-term studies have been done, and the ones who kept the babies are in better shape mentally, physically, and spiritually over the ones who decided not to. Why? Because you add trauma on top of trauma. You're adding to the pain, adding to the agony. That feeling you felt when we talked about miscarriage is magnified when we talk about abortion. At the, and that same abortion will not only take the life and potentiality of the child, but may also take away the only redeemable part of her tragedy. She has gone through a trauma. There has been a tragedy in her life. And I read and, and watched videos of, of a couple of people who said, the only thing that kept me going after my tragedy was the fact that I had a baby inside me to care for. But if it weren't for the baby, the trauma would have made me in my own life. Sometimes it's the only redeemable thing that helps the woman get through these things. So we shouldn't punish the baby and we shouldn't add trauma to the mother. We should offer other helps, other avenues. And these things are being helped. I'll just mention right now we have the Caring Pregnancy Center in Longview. This is one of the things they do. They're there to help moms and dads in crisis. The light at, uh, at the website, thelifeinstitute.net, there are 27 testimonies, some on video, some on uh, are written out, and, and they are of moms who were raped and children of mothers who were raped, and it tells their story. And, of course, they're going to gather the good stories, but they have 27 positive stories of lives that were saved and turned out wonderfully because life was chosen. So we have testimonial evidence. Dr. Landon Shettles, I'm sure you've all heard of him, right? He's a pioneer in the field of vitro fertilization, wrote this, less than 1% of all abortions are performed to save the mother's life. That was in 1983. Dr. Irving Kushner, professor of obstetrics at the UCLA School of Medicine, when testifying before the U.S. Senate, was asked how often abortions are necessary to save the life of the mother or to preserve her physical health. His response, in this country, about 1%. 
That was in 1985. In 2019, and this is a quote from LifeNews.com, medical leaders representing more than 30,000 doctors said intentionally killing a late-term unborn baby is an in an abortion is never necessary to save a mother's life. So at least 30,000 medical professionals have gone from 1% to never. It's, it's maybe 1% of the time necessary now, it's never. Now, not everyone's going to agree with that. I'll grant you that right up front. But at least 30,000 doctors have said it's never necessary. Okay? Less than 1% of abortions today take place because of rape or incest. Less than 1% take place to save a mother's life. That leaves 98% of abortions taking place for reason number three, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. And that covers a lot of categories. Very broad, the pursuit of happiness. But that's the best way to say it. Our, our, our founding documents for our country said we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it's not life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness above the others, they're equal. So life and liberty and pursuit of happiness are equal. They don't counter each other. That's even in our government. But what, does, what falls under this category? Well, sometimes it's, it's the fear of what your family's going to think, what your church is going to think, what your community is going to think. How will they respond? Uh, what, will, what will happen to me at school? Sometimes it's economic realities. Uh, I'm, I'm already poor. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. It's a fear of, of those things. Sometimes it's a loss of opportunity. I, I may not get my scholarship. I may not get to compete in this, this athletic opportunity. Um, I may not get a promotion. Uh, my, my boss isn't going to promote me if, I'm, if I start a family. Sometimes it's social stigma. Even in the Olympics recently, there was some story about a, an Olympic athlete who decided to have a baby. And it went against the norm of Olympic women athletes having abortions in order to maintain their competitive competitiveness, that, that level of competition. And, and it came out that that's the normal practice. And she said, no, I won't do it. And, and she almost lost opportunity. She lost sponsorships. She did make it to the Olympics, and she did win a medal. Sometimes it's a fear of a lifestyle change. Things are going to differ. But it's all related to the pursuit of happiness. How is this going to affect me? So 98% of abortions are done for that very reason. And so those, those things that are most often stated are, are practically irrelevant. And the one that's almost never stated is, is the actual cause. So let's look at number three. Oh, by the way, I want to go back. Remember the question was, what does, does it go against the Bible or, or God's moral code? Never mentioned a verse. I didn't even hardly mention God in that topic. You know why? Because based on these things, based on what we've already talked about, it's super obvious. But I am going to go talk about some scriptures. Number three says, why should, what should we say to someone considering an abortion? What, what should we say to someone who's undecided about abortion? What should we say to someone who's trying to figure out their position on abortion? Well, here's, here's some things we can say to them. A... Human life is a special creation of God and thus should be valued above all other life and cared for with love and graciousness. It's a special creation valued above all other life. Now Genesis 126, 
says, let us make man in our image. Nothing else was created in God's image. There is no plant that, that behaves like God or thinks like God or has characteristics similar to God. There is no other animal. There is no mammal that thinks like God, acts like God. Only, only human beings have that, that, that place. Only human beings have a soul, have that spiritual element. So when God said, let us make man in our image, he elevated creation. Psalm 8, 4 and 5, I want to read this to you. It says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The psalmist is asking, what's so special about humans that you even care one bit about us? Uh, other animals don't get this treatment. The plants don't get this treatment. Not even, not even space and, and, and the universe get this kind of treatment. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Verse 5 gets the answer. You made them a little lower than the angels, but crowned them with glory and honor. Glory and honor belong to God, and he said, I'm going to give you some of my glory and honor. I'm going to give you something that glorifies you and something that honors you above all the rest. And, and I want to give you an illustration, because I, I think this is probably the biggest point I want to make today, but it's the hardest to grasp because we move so quickly past it. Um, think of a, a watch. And I know sometimes it's not cool to wear a watch anymore. Old people wear watches, and, and my son is a watch guy. So he's got more watches than he knows what to do with. And that's really where this illustration comes from. Uh, you can make a variety of watches. Let's say you're a watchmaker. You make a variety of watches. They all tell time very well. They're all trustworthy on, on telling time. But some are made out of plastic, and some are made out of stainless steel, and some are made out of some, like, gold or something and silver. Maybe another is made out of platinum, and I don't even know what the, the best metals are. But the, the, what they're made out of determines their value. Also, how much craftsmanship you put into it. Are, are there designs in it? Is it aesthetically pleasing? Are there jewels attached to it? The craftsmanship... And then the time, the energy, the beauty, and its features. Does it have a, does it have a, you know, a calendar on it? Does it have a stopwatch? So a, a variety of watches all made by the same person or the same company can have a variety of values. Who assigns the value? The person producing them or the company producing them. They say, this is a really nice watch. It's a watch for everybody. We're going to sell it at Walmart for 12 bucks. What makes it better than the $8 watch at Walmart? Well, this one actually keeps time. You don't have to adjust it every two weeks like my $8 watch from Walmart. It keeps time. It's nothing special. It doesn't look that great. It literally goes with everything because it's designed to go with nothing. You can wear it for a long time. When it breaks, you can replace it. But it's a good watch. We're going to sell it for, for 10 bucks, maybe 12 and then you go to the next counter, and there's $25, $30 watches. The insides are probably pretty much the same, but the outsides are a little fancier. Maybe there's a leather band. Maybe it's got a little shininess to it. Maybe it's got a little decoration around the rim. It's a $25 or $30 watch. You go a little bit further down, down the, the case, and there's some inside the glass that you have to, have to get permission to look at. And while you're looking at them, the person's going to stand there and monitor you. 
And they're worth $100 to $200, $300, and they can explain why they're worth that much, and it's because of the things we talked about, the craftsmanship, the materials used, the, the, the features that it has, its aesthetic value. And then you can leave Walmart, and you can go to another store, and you can look in their glass box, and you can find watches that are thousands of dollars. And, and all those things we talked about have increased. More detail, more craftsmanship, more expertise, better materials. And, and the value is assigned by the person who made them. Well, God created everything. He created everything we have. And, and he created all the plants that we see, the things we eat. And if we had nothing created but the, the, the plant life that grows on the earth, God would deserve glory for that creation. Because he created it. And it has a lot of beauty. And, and a lot of diversity. And, and we glorify God because of that. But then he said, I'm going to step it up a little bit. When I say he said, I'm not assigning this dialogue to God. But in my mind, this is how it works. He stepped it up a little bit and he made the animals. The animals have things and can do things that the plants can't. One, they're mobile. Plants generally stay where they're planted. When they're not there anymore, they die. Animals move around. They also can see, smell, and taste. They can think a little bit. They can remember things. They're created at a higher level. And they get a little more attention. Uh, many of you have plants in your house. When a plant dies, you probably don't cry. You probably don't bury it in the backyard with a little marker. Your pet dies. It's a bigger deal. Very, very likely you will actually bury it in the ground, and there may be a little marker there. And you tell your kids not to mess with that, because that's where so-and-so's buried. It's, it's a higher creation, and more valuable, innately more valuable. We know they're more valuable just by what it is. Even if it's your workhorse, it, it gets special treatment. Okay? And then God said, I'm going to do one better than the animals. I'm going to create mankind. I'm going to create mankind with all the things the animals have, but I'm going to give them free will. And I'm going to give them intellect and, and an ability to make choices and to think and to reason. And I'm going to give them a soul. And they'll relate to me in ways that no other part of creation does because I am spirit and they have a spirit. And, and when they die, they're not just going to rot. When they die, they will transfer to my side of reality because they are also eternal. Plants are not eternal. Animals are not eternal. Humans are eternal. And so God says, I'm giving honor and glory to humans because they are the pinnacle of my creation. The pinnacle of my creation. And so God has said, human beings carry value. If you go out in the woods and cut a tree down and make it into lumber, uh, more than likely you're not going to be arrested on the way home. If you go out into the woods and kill a person, you will some likely time in the future be arrested. That is against the law in every state, in every nation. All right? We assign greater value to humans because God has assigned greater value. We see it in the law. We see it in all kinds of places. So the very fact that the creator of human beings has assigned a high value. He says, respect the aged. Take care of them. It's your duty as a child. Raise up the young ones to know me and to serve me. 
You take care of your family. Dad, take care of your family. Mom. He, he gives us assignments because of the value of human life. And never does he ever say that we get to pick and choose who gets to live and who doesn't. No matter what the category is. The disabled person, from birth or by accident, the disabled person has value in the sight of God because they have a soul created by God, and that soul created by God makes them glorious and honorable. That's why we care for people who have disabilities. They're not less human because of the disability. No one is less human because of a disease or a stage of life they're in. Location and age do not matter. We are a special creation of God given glory and honor, and that's the reason we protect life. That really should be the end of the discussion. That should be all we need to know. We protect the most valuable because that's what God wants us to do. He has assigned that value. But there's B in your notes. Every human is a creation of God, loved and anticipated. Anticipated. The life is anticipated. Psalm 139, which we read this morning, 13 to 16, we read about God forming, uh, knitting together, and, and, and has wonderfully made David, who is a prophet and a king. So David was formed, knitted together, and wonderfully made. In Jeremiah 1 5, we read about Jeremiah, and God says, I knew you and chose you before you were born. So Jeremiah was known and chosen before he was born. In Isaiah, God called a new Isaiah by name before his birth. In Galatians, Paul was set apart from his mother's womb before birth. And I didn't even mention John the Baptist and Jesus, who were active. And, 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 and they were named and declared before even conception. So if, if all these people named, God knew them and even pronounced his plans for them and knew their names before they, was, they were born, what makes you think God doesn't know every other person before they're born? The all-knowing God, the sovereign God, the creator of life. I happen to fall into the category of belief that God actually performs an act of special creation every time a baby is born, every time a baby is conceived. There's a special act of creation that God does. That's why we're all unique. And so God is involved in the process. See, God included the unborn in his civil law given to Moses. So God even made it a legal thing. In Exodus 21, 22 to 25, talks about if a, if a woman is struck accidentally by someone, even someone's possessions, and the baby is harmed, the, the husband gets to assign the penalty. The husband gets to say what you have to pay, all the way up to death, if, it's, if the baby dies. So even accidental injury to the unborn was severely penalized. In Exodus 20, 13, this is the Ten Commandments, the most famous part of the law, it says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not intentional, intentionally kill someone. I need to say intentional because not all life-taking is murder. But if it's, it's, if it's immoral, if it's undeserved, if it's uncalled for, it's a, if it's avoidable, that's what it is. It's called murder, and we're not supposed to do that. So it's a special creation of God. 
God is involved in that special creation, even to the point of knowing someone's, what someone's life is going to be like and what their name is going to be. He, he made provision in the, the law that, that, that just clearly indicates we're supposed to value that life. And then D, he tells us that loving God and loving others is the greatest commandment. So the greatest thing a mom can do and the greatest thing a dad can do the moment they find out there's a baby inside them is to care for that baby. To care for the one who needs cared for. To care for the one who's dependent on them. So there's some things we might say to someone who's thinking about their position, who's thinking about an abortion, who wants to have a, a clear understanding of what the life is inside of them. And these are all biblical, straight from the Bible. Number four, what should we say to the mother who had an abortion, the father who encouraged an abortion, or even the doctor who performed an abortion? Now this topic can go so many different directions that I really can't deal with it. The one common factor, no matter who it is or what the effect was, is, is the statement and therefore the knowledge that God forgives all sin when we are saved. Murderers have been saved. Paul was a murderer. He was saved and became the Apostle Paul. There is no sin God can't forgive. We have perhaps a list of sins we can't forgive. We may have a list of sins we've committed that we can't forgive ourselves for. But God does not have such a list. God can forgive any sin. God can forgive any of these people for any part they played. Uh, a parent who pressured a child. Any, anybody. But, if you are one of these folks, there very well may be lingering issues. Lingering consequences. Unresolved thoughts, unresolved guilt. And if that's the case, that's why I gave you this handout in your bulletin. On the back side, there's information that you can go to privately and places you can go to publicly and, and get help. On the front is all the research and all the places I use for things I've talked about, so you can go check my work if you want to. But what I say to those people is seek Godly professional assistance. Godly more important than professional. And if you don't know where to go, start with the Caring Pregnancy Center. They know who the resources are. And if they're not the help themselves, they know who is. And, and we want to have that connection with them. So God forgives all sin. There is no sin you can come up with that God can't forgive. And God also has processes to restore you. To, to bring your joy back, to, to let you feel his forgiveness. Last one, number five, what other life issues are answered with a similarly logical discussion? Infanticide, which is becoming an issue. You can look that up if you don't know what it means. Assisted suicide, euthanasia, and just plain old suicide. These are all issues that follow the same line of reasoning. The answers are pretty much the same. In vitro fertilization, the issue there is what happens to the fertilized eggs that aren't, aren't used. Genetic engineering, trying to manipulate the process of God's creation. These are all issues that follow the same line of reasoning. If God is the engineer who puts the, puts the baby together in the mother's womb, when we step in, what are we doing? We're messing with God. 
That's a dangerous place to be. Here's the conclusion. I'm going to try to wrap this all up into a paragraph for you. To intentionally take a life, that's abortion, to intentionally take a life inside or outside the womb is a violation of God's law. It is also idolatry as you take on a will of God, choosing who lives and who does not. Furthermore, it's dishonoring and devaluing of God's most prized and valued creation, human life. And lastly, it is damaging to both the mother, the baby, and potentially damaging to the father and other close relatives. There is no justification for abortion, but there is great hope in Christ for anyone who has been injured by an act of abortion, whether it be the mother, the father, the doctor, or, or, or even someone farther out from the situation, maybe a, a brother or sister or a, or a cousin. What I want you to take home from this, I want you to keep that piece of paper handy somewhere because there's a lot of valuable information and there's a lot of valuable sources of information. So I want you to keep that paper handy. I also want you to leave today, and maybe you've got to review this a couple more times. Maybe you need to listen to the sermon online. I want you to go home, and I want you to be able to have an intelligent conversation with someone on the topic. Now, I don't think I crossed any lines. I didn't get gross with you. I didn't get political with you. I didn't get angry with you. I offered facts, and I offered hope. And anyone who is trying to discover the truth can follow our reasoning today and conclude that abortion is wrong. And I want you to know in your heart that the best reasonable explanation for abortion being wrong is that we are destroying God's prized creation. His prized creation. The thing that he died for on the cross. The thing that he has made way so that we could be with him for eternity. His most prized creation. And then all the other arguments just fall under there. Uh, quite well, I might add. But that's the, the biggest one. And I want you to know that there's always hope. Put whatever category of sin you want to in the equation. There's always hope. There's always forgiveness. There's always redemption. We call upon the name of the Lord for our salvation, believing that he died on the cross for our sins. We, 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 we call him Lord, and then we live for him. And he says, those sins are gone. They're, they're no longer on your account. They were paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. So I want you to keep those things in mind, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. First of two Sundays, we're going to talk about this topic. Thank you for guiding me through this process of deciding what to say and not to say. Thank you for your scriptures that, that, that enlighten us and, and illuminate your word and, 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 and let us know what you think. Thank you for our ability to, to, to grasp it and understand it. And Father, no matter what the world is saying around us, no matter what's on Facebook or Twitter or the evening news or the newspaper, no matter what my teacher says, my coworker, my neighbor, we're going to stick to God's word. We're going to stick to what you say. That's where our faith is. That's where our practice is. And may we be able to communicate that so that we can bring others into that same understanding. 
Help us to be clear in our thinking as well. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.